are tuned in to the Our Version of Events podcast with your host, Jamie Crockett-Chakwa, and I have a special guest. I would like to introduce to you all, Kiara Johnson. Hi, Kiara. Hi, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, thank you for coming. It's my pleasure. I am just so excited to have your greatness and your glory um, grace this podcast um, as our first guest. So thank you. I'm excited. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm more than excited to be here. So tell us a little bit, Kiara, about our connection from your perspective. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know what? From the city of champions, some may call it um, those that bleed orange and blue. Mm. Um, the city of East St. Louis, the one and only, um, East St. Louis, Illinois, to be exact. Initially, we met, I believe, uh, during the National Beta Club, in which we both experienced other uh, extracurricular activities, such as the National Honor Society, um, the speech and debate team, mm-hmm. and others. And uh, distinctly, I can remember distinctly. When my heart fell for you, um, as, as I would say just especially as a little sister, was um, during the very end of the last induction ceremony for the National Beta Club. And you went up to me and you came up to me and you cried. And you was like, I'm going to miss you. And I was like, who is this? She is so magical. <laughs> like, you made me feel so special. And I never forgot that. And... You know, just being able to keep up with you and um, on my way to working for the courts for the state of Missouri, I, you know, needed a place to stay upon coming um, to Jefferson City, Missouri. And you were right there in Jefferson City with me. So (laughs) it's all worked out. And um, it's, it's just a pleasure to be able to not only have a history, but to just to continue to write history together. Kiara, you didn't have to that. Like, seriously. Um, thank you. <laughs> well, my version, to remember about Kiara, everybody, is her awesome, awesome, what we call OC, speech and debate. <laughs> she is called Original Comedy. So um, Kiara would be practicing, and all I would take away <laughs> would be... Uh, it's a part of your imagination. Is that correct? <laughs> her imagination. I remember her always also saying, no more locked doors. And I was just like, this lady is funny. Like, I, don't <laughs> I, don't, I probably knew who you were, but I don't think we had that close connection like you mentioned until later. And I was just so excited. And, and your aura, your spirit, your energy was just so open and you were radiant. And I just wanted to get to know you. And I was like, how do I get to know this person? Uh-huh. <laughs> the other things that you mentioned, you did not definitely not have to mention, but. Oh, uh, but real. <laughs> <laughs> God is good. And he knows how to best bring people together. And when, tell us a little bit about your version of events when it comes to growing up in the city of champions. Oh, it never starts out that way. Um, I don't think that you grow up <clears throat> automatically believing that when you come from East St. Louis, at least that you just, you're going to be somebody amazing or you're going to be somebody that's super important because everything around you is, is kind of in opposition to that statement. Um, you know, when I grew up, 
I think it was pretty difficult because, you know, I, like I lost both of my parents. Uh, I was not in a nuclear household. I went from home to home as a ward of the state. And in doing those things, I, I think that I got, I don't know, I think I, I felt like I had the short end of the stick, you know, when it came to a lot of situations, you know, I guess with the people around me. And it was because, like, I don't think we talked about it, but everybody was going through something and nobody really knew. Like you couldn't pinpoint, but you knew everybody was going through something. And that's just kind of the environment that it was, but you would still see so many pieces of success. And it was just like, but you had to be in the right places in order to see it. And it was like, if you were just hanging out at home, you may not have saw the elements of success that would come out of East St. Louis. But if you were in those places, like, you know, on a track and field team, on a football team, or in a National Honor Society, you would see Harvard graduates, you would see football champions, you would see um, Olympic, you know, um, gold medalists, you would, you know, you would see doctors, you would see lawyers, you would see a lot of things, but you had to be in the right places. And you had to seek out the right places and have people guide you. And if you didn't have it, it's kind of like you fall through the cracks in a way. And I think that, you know, um, we see that a lot but I think that I was pretty fortunate. Wow. So you're mentioning a type of support system, kind of touched on it, but what, what support did you have growing up? I, I know you had a, a challenging childhood, but where did you turn? Um, I didn't really turn. Somebody turned me for me. So, um, <laughs> because I like to think that I was very rebellious, that um, I grew up with a lot of anger just because of the way that my parents died, how my parents died, um, how my family had to deal with the death of my parents. So when it comes to support network, I was saying that I didn't turn myself as much as someone turned me, which was my grandmother. And this was my stepfather's mother. Um, I didn't like her. I rebelled against her a lot because I didn't see anything good coming from her. And according to like the other sides of my family, like they couldn't see the positives and we could understand why given the situation. Um, But she kept taking me to church (laughs) and and I didn't want to go. I didn't like it. I wasn't interested in understanding who God was or um, all of these miraculous things that everybody said that he can do because according to my life, he had taken so much from me already. And what good was it for me to give to a God that has already taken, in my opinion, at that time? But she forced it. She she forced me to do extracurricular activities. She forced me to go, you know, and be a part of church activities. And eventually, those are the very same variables that changed my life around. Eventually, I became Christian and, you know, I was baptized uh, at the age of 15 and, um you know, you think about what it's like to be a 16-year-old in East St. Louis, and I don't want to say we're all getting baptized at 16 or 15. And so it, I think that that was the height of a transition, but it was because I was able to be turned. Somebody else had, um, I, I want to say it was turning the wheel for me because I couldn't turn it for myself. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened to be in really good direction as far as church and school activities. That's good. Thank you for sharing. For our listeners who are not familiar with your story um, and and what you're referencing about your parents, would you mind sharing that with us? Sure. Um, 
So I guess that's where you say, like, viewer discretion is advised because just because. But this was a situation where this is December 21st of 1998 when the actual incident happened. But just a little background, because I think that the background story is the most appealing part of the story. Um, I I take my mom, who had me when she was 18 years old. Um, She went on to study in college at Southern Community College in East St. Louis, where she would then find who would be my stepdad, Olin McDonald. And they both were really, really great students. They were academics. I think naturally they were academics. And they both went on to study at um, SIU Edwardsville, and they both retrieved their um, bachelor's degrees. Um, My mother, I think she received her bachelor's in chemistry and biology, um, like a double bachelor's and to me that is just insane because I think about science and it's like oh my gosh like that's that's a lot to think about when you have two kids because there was me and my brother once she and my stepdad married and my stepdad at the time was a philosophy professor um, an African-American studies professor at Southern Community College um, he had already written his first book um, called Up From The Bottom and it seemed like a star couple in the black community. Like it was amazing because uh, my mom had also, she had pledged the sorority Alpha Kappa Alpha and my dad um, was a member of Phi Beta Sigma fraternity. These were all great things. These are all components of what you would deem as the direction towards a great family, a great nuclear household. But then you think about what does it mean to be great? And I think that for my stepfather, he didn't envision what was happening in his life. Um, He slowly started having health issues uh, with thyroid disease. And with thyroid disease, uh, it really took a toll on his health. It really brought him down a lot. And he also got laid off from his job. Um, My mother, however, continued to, you know, you know, push the barrier. Um, She continued in school. She continued to um, study to become a doctor in neurophysiology. And my dad kind of, the roles kind of switched a little bit because my mom was working now and she was the academic now. Um, She was with the two children now. And my dad was now at home with two children and taking care of other duties, you know, that wouldn't necessarily, I guess, fit the persona of a dad at that time. And this is just the 90s, so it's not too far away. But, um... I think it took a toll on their relationship on the idea of what being great would become. And you see episodes of domestic violence. My dad, and this is no association to the the nation of Islam, um, when I say that, like anything negative, but I think that my dad took the nation of Islam to a level of extremism. And because he did that, he did a lot of things that I think turned my mother away from him and separated their relationship, which they ultimately became separated. So it was a lot of things that I think he wanted my mom to be submissive about or, you know, and she wasn't willing to. Um, She was a fighter from what I could see. So on December 21st, this is four days before Christmas, um, my mom walks into the house Um, my dad opens the door and she walks in. I look at my dad kind of like he's crazy because he's got this look on his face. Like, 
you know, like something's just, just literally just blown him off the water. And he greets my mom and she's going upstairs. And when she gets up there, I'm talking to my brother and it just seems like a really cold night. You know, it's just even at eight years old, it was just like, it just seemed different. And so as my mom walks upstairs, my grandmother's downstairs and we hear some type of like hustle and bustle noise or whatever. And it really threw us off. And so my grandmother runs upstairs and we see that my stepfather's now like holding my mom in a chokehold. And my grandmother's like, turn her loose. And he's like, well, I'm trying to talk some sense into her. And she's like, well, you can't do it that way. And so he eventually lets her go. And she's like, come on, you guys need to come downstairs so we can eat. And I'm just kind of summarizing her words. And we go downstairs. Um, we start to eat again. And I think it just gets colder because it's just like, I've never seen that before. I've never seen daddy that to mom. I've never seen mom look like that. What is that? And then boom, you hear a shot. We don't know that it's a shot though. And we immediately try to run towards the situation of the, or the area in which we heard the noise. And that's when we see my mom coming down the steps and she's trying to get out of her leather jacket. And she's coming down a flight of stairs, two flights of stairs. And so we are running towards our front door 30 meters away from where she is, 30 to 40 meters away from where she is. And I couldn't open the door for her. It was too small. And as she comes into the living room, uh, my dad is then like reloading his gun. And so he's like ready to go again. So she's already been shot. And as my dad is loading up, we're, I'm looking at my mom and she's telling me to move. And then when I look up, I see another shot coming towards her and it misses. And I won't forget it because I remember the way that the blue light flashed. And so I immediately grab my little brother and I put, bring him down the stairs to our basement. And that's when my, I run back upstairs to see my mom. She's apologetic. And she's saying that she's sorry. And he's like, you know, you're not sorry. You're not sorry. You're lying. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, eight. Hey, I don't know what they're talking about. I'm like, wait, but she said she's sorry. You know, you're thinking, like, that should be the end of it. You know, let's all go sit down and let's do tea. Well, it continues. And he continues to drag her into the bathroom um, where he pushes my grandmother down, who's trying to hold him from um, closing the door in the bathroom. And my great-grandmother, who's in the other room, who had a stroke and unable to move, she was yelling. And he takes her in the bathroom, and that's when he shoots her. And at this time, according to the report, she was shot seven times, and he was shot four times. And they say that it's a homicide-suicide, but he was shot four times, and even with a blow to the head, he still did not die until later once he got to the hospital, after he got to the hospital. And so just to show you the amount of, like, anger, like, you know, mm-hmm. it was, it's, it's, wow, it's, you know, scale-breaking. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. And as, as you know, I'm terribly and deeply sorry about that situation that occurred. Um, do you mind talking about as a child? So tell me a little bit about what was going through your mind um, at that moment, several days or weeks after, and how you coped through life dealing with such a, a tragic situation at such a young age. 
You know, I don't believe I thought it was real for a very, very long time. Um, I thought that, I think in the back of my mind, I thought that this was a sick joke. I thought, like, maybe they just needed to get away. Maybe they couldn't take care of their kids. Like, maybe this was a trap. Maybe they had to do something dramatic, you know. But that wasn't the case. Um, I think it was, I became enclosed. I became to, I want to say mask my feelings a lot more. Because the more I smiled, the more I realized that people would not ask me as much as many questions. So, um it became a mechanism for a long while um, to be able to just get through life was with a smile and deeply knowing that the smile had come from such a treacherous situation, which is that I didn't want to talk about it anymore. And so I think that that's, that's the biggest toll. So now we're here and now we do get to talk about it. What are your views on suicide, domestic violence, um, intimate partner relationship issues, uh, being a child who who had to go through the the system and and be a ward of the state? How did all that affect you? What was it like? You know, um, like, you don't know it until you look back. I always say, like, you don't know how far into something you are until you look back at where you've been. And I think, for me, um, I think when I look at the relationships that I have had, a lot of them had become scary because I was trying very hard. I didn't want to find anyone that matched the profile of what my dad may have been like. Um, because it was just like, whoever that guy was, you don't want him in your life. Hmm. And a lot of the times that meant I may have missed out, you know, not saying, well, I think speaking of, I'm in a great relationship, but you know, that may have meant I missed out on great people or getting to know great people because I was apprehensive about who they would be but I would always look for the signs like for domestic violence I would look for the signs to see if this person may have been cynical or not or how they treated a person who wanted to be or a woman who wanted to be successful or you know what their religious you know beliefs would be like all of those things became bigger questions for me because of underlying fear of running into such a person again And I think when it comes to have been a ward of the state, I think it bothered me in a way because it meant that I really had no home. Like I had a home physically, like I I had a physical address, but it technically also meant that I I was like a foster kid um, Mm -hmm. inside my own home. And that was a result of a homicide suicide. And when we think about, you know, what homicide and suicide and the after effects are, we don't think about how it affects the children and their long-term relationships. But the most important thing is that we don't think about what happens before the homicide or suicide. We don't consider the ideals of depression, anxiety, how those factors play a role into how we create criminal behaviors. And when we don't consider them and we leave them untreated with things like substance abuses, like 
alcoholism or sexual abuses, all of those things are results of some type of mental behavior or mental uh, a mental health issue. And if it le- it's left untreated, then what happens? We've seen what happens to the long-term drunk or the long-term sex addict or the long-term drug addict. It's self-destruction. That's all it's asking for. So when we think about where I am today, I think it's in a very good place because when I think about going back to the past, that entire situation, I think, could have been a self-destructive moment. Tell me about your world today. Where are you? What are you doing? Um, What brings you joy? Oh, my goodness. You know what? The word joy is so special to me because I remember I was at a camp. I want to say it's a camp, but um, it was a mission project. And it was right after I had my son. It was right after I had been divorced. And I was just down and completely out. And my pastor was like, you have to find your joy, not happiness, because happiness is really temporary. So find your joy. And believe it or not, it became in washing clothes because I love to smell the laundry. But it was because I had to start off small first before I graduated to finding out what my biggest joy would be. And so far, it's been my son. It's being um, um, a business owner right now and owning my own foundation being able to give back to communities to help people that have walked in similar shoes or even bigger shoes than I have had to walk in. Um, It's being a voice to the community in which I've come from and to help those that look like me, that come from the same culture that I come from, to help them believe in our tragedies and our struggles becoming our lifelines to our success. Um, today I also, you know, I, I work, uh, um, as a civil analyst for the Supreme Court and all of those things are really great things, but I think as far as what matters most is when you ask me where I am, you know, and what I'm about mentally, I'd say I'm probably one of the most optimistic people that you might run into or many might run into because I don't believe that it gets worse. It can only get better. And so I think that that's where I am right now. That's good. That's good. If you had to or had a conversation with an individual that you've never met, what would you say to them? How would you encourage them? I believe it's so amazing that I'm here on your show today. And it's not just because you're my friend but it's because I'm alive. And when you're dead, you don't get to talk about it. You know, you really get to miss out on all the cool stuff because one moment was going to be the deciding factor. And if you think about life, you are literally a 50-50 chance away from making the best decision of your life every single day. I mean, literally, because it's a yes or a no. And the probabilities almost don't get any better than a 50-50 shot. And it's just like, so if somebody asks you, do you want to live or you want to die? Do you want to take your life away or do you want to live to tell a story? And you got a 50-50 shot at this. And you say that I don't want to take this shot. 
then you literally missed out on the best thing that could have ever happened in your life. And so what is my encouragement? If you got 50-50 shot, you go with the most positive shot. Because everything else, if you're Christian, you know that God will order your steps. You know that faith will walk you through. And no matter what you believe, is that if you believe in being positive and being kind and you help others, your footsteps too will be guided. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, having faith in the next day. Have faith in the next day. Now, you know we have so much more to talk about, but specifically about this topic of of domestic violence and coming off um, from Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, is there something that we haven't touched on that you'd also like to share, encourage our audience about? Know your people. Something that we get really caught up in today is um, social media. And I know it goes on and it's been said a lot of, a lot of the time, but <clears throat> we think about just 15 years ago, we had the power to communicate with people. We would go to bowling alleys. We would go to the movies together. We would sit in the living room and we would watch television together sit by fires, we would do a lot of things. And as we slowly got hip to technology and things like that, we slowly stopped looking at people and started looking at those that were in our phone, which are two different people. And we start to see the things that they post and we convert them into the reality in which we think that they are. And with the lack of communication, and the lack of people skills and understanding just normal everyday emotions, we lose out on morality and ethics. We lose out on beliefs and how those beliefs are carried out, especially when it comes to being positive in relationships, because we no longer treat people like people anymore. We treat them as if they're completely separate. The things that they showed us, and not what we really are. I think that a lot of the times, young ladies and guys, they get caught up with social media presence and not the reality of the actual person. And it, it plays a role in what we consider as domestic violence now. Because now we don't know who we're dating. We don't know who we're talking to anymore. We don't have those conversational skills anymore that we used to care about. We don't do the things that we used to do. And until we get back to that, we won't notice the signs of someone that is jealous of us or someone that can't stand for a female to be in the spotlight or for someone that can't let a female talk without them shouting over her. We won't see those signs because we haven't communicated with people enough anymore. And it's almost a dead language. So you talk about being a mom. Tell us about AJ. <laughs> um, he is the light of my life. I will say he changed my life. Man, I think every mom says that. Every good mom says that their kid changed their life mm -hmm. because we knew how horrid we were before they came. <laughs> we knew how we didn't want to settle down <laughs> in some areas. Mm -hmm. And then we, we also see this undying love that we never thought we had. Like, you think that you fall in love with a guy and it's special. You have a kid and it's like, wow, like that's a part of me. 
and it literally takes your breath away like you look at them it's so weird I look at my kid at night and I'm like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh I did that 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 (laughs) it's like and it's like go to sleep and you find yourself doing everything that you thought your parents annoyed you in doing so I go and check up on him in the middle of the night and I'm always tucking his pants in and I'm always using spit to wipe off his face and (laughs) you know but I'm okay with it because I love being a mom and I think my kid's absolutely phenomenal. He's an easygoing kid. Uh, I don't have too many problems with him. Um, He can get wild, but moms can get wild too. And I'll leave it at that. (laughs) I love it. I love it. What are some affirmations that you share with AJ that you can share with us? Oh my gosh. So one of them is, um, we always talk about the talents. We always talk about, it's one of our Jesus stories. We talk about Jesus and the talents. And I always talk to him about multiplying, um, his talents, like, and not, you know, just verbatim, but to make sure that you believe that you really can do anything is the moment you stop you you do stop believing you can do anything. So I think that that's something that is, is highly encouraged. Um, faith is encouraged because we do believe that through all things that Christ will strengthen us. And not only that, but he'll also, you know, move mountains for us. And, you know, so we, we are faith-based. Um, we are, oh my gosh, we, I believe in the power of reading. I make sure my son understands the statistics that, you know, that stand before him. Um, one of them is being able to read. I work so hard with him on reading just because I understand that African-American male not being able to read by third grade is over 30% likely to go to prison. Well, I want my kid to beat the odds. And so we're reading now. And those are the things that, you know, academics, God, believing in yourself, understand the dynamics of family. That's, that's kind of what keeps our house. Everything else is just um, a messy house, a messy room, you know? Mm-hmm. Everything else is just chaos. <laughs> Everything's just a bunch of strings running around, but then it's just got these, like, principal holes in there that we have to fall into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So from how do you help cultivate a foundation with anyone that you that you meet that you decide to engage with for a long term um, on a long term basis what what do you find helps cultivate a great friendship a great relationship a romantic relationship a great familial relationship you know what if you I'm going to take it from my situation not anybody else's if you are a mom you're a single mom I would say being a single mom being a Christian single mom, honey, you will call out BS <laughs> faster than anybody you know because you're not you're not willing to put up with certain things anymore. Like when you're young, you know what I'm saying. You might tolerate like, oh, I lost my job, you know, or some things like that. And yeah, well, you can stay on the couch, or you know, and, and that leads to three or four months, or and so on and so forth, or you know. But when you have a kid, when you put God in your life changes how like you accept the people in your life because you're not willing to just accept anyone like I'm quick 
to just be like, okay, well, you know what? That's toxic. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's family. Like, that's not even just talking about relationships. That's family. That Those are friends. Mm-hmm. And it's just like under, understanding who's toxic in your life, getting rid of, getting rid of all of that. Like, that's, that's, I know that's what helps me persevere. And because you get to call BS faster, I think that you don't tolerate the things that you used to tolerate. You look at the resumes a lot different. Um, the resume of my ex-husband looks completely different of, you know, boyfriend, fiance now, like a hundred percent different. And I think it's checking the resumes of everybody else. Like you won't allow certain people in your life. And if you're a single woman, um, the, some of the greatest philosopher Kings would say, um, I think Plato intelligence is understanding the consequences of your actions before you do them and it's like read those resumes ahead of time before you introduce people into your circle because like they say birds of a feather do flock together and you will pick up off other people Mm. that's good that's good anything else you'd like to share i love you jamie and i think that you are a phenomenal person and i think that um I am more than amazed to see how well you continue to grow and do amazing things. Uh, I know how much you've worked. Now, I'm not going to say how much I know you've worked, but I know how hard you work, and I've seen you in action, and I just want to say how proud I am of you and for allowing me to be here with you today. And, um, you know, City of Champions for life. East side. (laughs) East side. Go there. <laughs> I already know. know. Eastside praise break. Like. <laughs> you already know, Kira. Well, thank you so much for joining us to share your version of events to our audience. We're definitely going to have you back on the show because we have to dig deeper. 